This is Music Ed Amplified. Greetings, music educators and wonderful human beings. Happy spring and welcome to the Music Ed Amplified podcast. I hope you've been doing well, or at least you're hanging in there. I don't have to tell you that we are rapidly approaching the end of the year. Well, most of us, since I still have seven weeks to go. But it wouldn't be my life if I didn't also have extra excitement thrown in in the form of contracting my first ever case of COVID two days before spring break and having to cancel a family trip to Florida, then thankfully recovering quickly only to get the flu two weeks later. Yeehaw. But I know I am not alone and many, many people have been having challenging springtimes, but I'm still thankful. Nevertheless, as we all know, it has not been easy this year on any of us, and not only because of pandemic things. For me personally and professionally, one of the hardest and yet somehow now often most rewarding parts of this year have been the reintroduction of having to teach music to the self-contained classes at school. It has been well over 15 years since the last time I was able to work with autistic kids. And full disclosure, for the first half of the year, I was completely clueless about 98% of the time. I wish I would have thought of it sooner, but I eventually figured out that I could put out an SOS to expert educator, Dr. Alice Hamill, to come help me and hopefully you do all we can to love and teach all of the students who come into our room. So let's listen to our chat. Dr. Alice Hamill, welcome to the Music Ed Amplified podcast. Hi, thank you so much for asking me to be here. Oh, I, I'm really, I'm, you know, I won't say excited. There's a, an element of excited, but I'll tell you the truth. I'm thankful to have you here. This one is especially powerful to me in the past two years. So let's just get to it. Great. So I want to start with a question that is almost the same as what I asked Elise when she uh, did her recent episode. And the question is that you won't be surprised, of course, you know better than most that there are lots of teachers, and it's certainly true for me, who feel ill-equipped. But beyond that, uh, not just ill-equipped, but very nervous about and I'm putting this in quotes, doing it wrong when it comes to disabled students in in our music programs. And in the case of this episode, the focus today, autistic students. So I know this is like a grossly overblown kind of question, but I think one problem with the everyday teacher is we are inundated (laughs) with, you know, uh, things to do in our classroom, new initiatives in the district. And it's like, I want to be better for my autistic kids. I want to be better for, you know, these kids. I want to do this better. I want to do planning better. So in that sense, that's why I ask a question like, if you were able to give us a a kind of pragmatic jumping off point, so a a do's and don'ts list um, for those of us, and I hope it's everyone, who are seeking to create a, a truly accessible and engaging classroom uh, for these students, what what things might be on there? Or even if it's just like, here are the one or two things 
that are imperative? Mm -hmm. Sure. I think the biggest overall kind of meta thing I could say is that if you love your students and if you love being a music teacher, you you can't go wrong. You won't do anything horrible. I promise it'll be okay. <laughs> um, if you just, That's I, good to I, know. Sometimes when I'm having a challenging day with a student or with a group of students, I try to imagine that they are my own personal children. Mm. And it's amazing the fast switch in my brain sure. when I imagine their mind. I'm like, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, and then I You're feel right. like a person for that, right? <laughs> I think if you can just think of them, right, as, as precious a being as your own children mm-hmm. is a great place to start. Um, now, one reason we love our children so much is because they're ours and we know an awful lot about them. Yeah. Um, I think when we teach students um, who are neurotypical, right, who have standard brains, they can all pretty much eat up whatever objectives you throw on the floor at them. They're going to be fine. So what we're talking about really is the 10% on one end of the spectrum and the 10% on the other end of the spectrum. And I'm talking about spectrum of learning. Um, Sure. Those are the students that they're, they're different, right? Some people say neurodiverse, some people say neurodivergent. So, you know, they're, they're different. Their brains work differently. And because their brains work differently and they work differently from the brains of most music teachers, we have to take the time to get to know who they are because they're not going to present it to us in a neurotypical right. way, the way most of our students do. Um, so, and I know that we are so overwhelmed with paperwork. Um, some school systems make it pretty easy to see the IEPs and 504s of students right. with disabilities. Some school systems don't. Yeah. Um, so it's different all over the country. So for some teachers, it's just simple as clicking a name next to, you know, a right. clicking button next to their name. I don't know. What what, what are yours like, Missy? How so you ours are, um, you have to sit with the um, child study team person. In the past, we've done this thing where we've had like a meeting in the beginning of the year, which I've really appreciated. And, you know, we've gone through the cases. Uh, so by we, I mean these specialists. And then we go through these things. But I think up until the past year or so, I didn't even know what questions to ask. It's just more, oh, you know, he does this. And we're all like, oh, yes, that's true. And then maybe some information where it's like, here's what's happening in the family. Here are some things we heard from the doctor. But I I always feel like at the end, it's like, okay. And you just want to get out because it's another meeting, to be quite honest. But then later, I'm like, I, w- I should have been paying better attention. <laughs> because that w- it's a lot of kids, mm-hmm. you know. And lot to take you in. Get that one chance a year. Yeah. So what I think what I'm trying to say and not saying it well is I don't know if we're only allowed that chance or if it's just that's the chance we have. And if we want to, um, we have access to more. So I can certainly okay. find that out. Because it's really difficult to have your brain all together for a whole yeah. year for one meeting. Of course. Of course. I could yeah. never. I wonder if it'd be possible to ask that person if you could have meetings maybe once a quarter. Yeah, no, that's a can great I meet idea. And then during the quarter, you can make some notes um, mm-hmm. for when for when you have that meeting. Yeah, some of it is just it seems like the weeks are just going to trog by forever until mm-hmm. June or whenever you're out of school, and it just right. seems so long. But mm-hmm. I think if you have those stop points, okay, so I'm going to, these next three weeks, I'm going to take some data. I'm going to kind of see what's going on. And then I get to meet with this person and maybe right. get some. 
Right. So that that might be and, a place. And I think that would be cool because it would, you know, you could also hear from the point person. Uh, I'm sure there are things going on, like, like he might say, you know, we've seen great gains uh, here, or here are some struggles. Are you seeing this reflected, you know, in the music room? And I know there are teachers listening right now who are, you know, overwhelmed with the possibility of doing this. But I think for me, I'm th- I'm trying to think of how to say this. I don't want to offend anybody, but I'll say it plainly for myself. You know, in the past, I have been that person, you know, who's like, I don't have time to do this. And the thing is, I'm realizing now that I'm getting old, you know, I wish I would have understood how imperative it is like this is a place to invest your time like i would much rather know more about my students to serve them better it saves you that time at three o'clock in the morning when you wake Mm -hmm. up thinking about that kid and you Mm -hmm. can't go back to sleep those are minutes you cannot get back because you were sleeping (laughs) (laughs) that is an excellent point or like for me sometimes like the the um morning that i'm going to teach um my self-contained classes i've noticed it's getting better, but in the beginning of the year, I dreaded it because I was like, I just don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Wait, it'd be like dropping me into a calculus class. Yes. And asking, <laughs> I would just cry. You know, so everybody would be crying if I were to. It's not what we learn to do in school. Mm-hmm. And then it's not what we do almost all the time every day, right? Yeah. It's something separate and and we don't have as much experience with it. So, yeah, for sure. you know, just taking the time and depending on your school, if it's the special education teacher, you know, you reach out to or the occupational therapist or someone, I, I have found that they are really approachable. And when I finally get up the courage to do it, they're so receptive. Sure. And, and they're so helpful because it takes some real twisting of the brain to figure out how to take those accommodations and apply them to music. For example... Yes. You know, you often see one about um, use of calculators or a multiplication chart. You know, so we really have to think, well, what does that look like in music? Well, it looks like the lines and spaces. It right. looks, you know, all, all of those things. And that if they're not able to remember those, they're going to, you know, they're going to need to have a visual with the answers. Yeah. That's the same as a multiplication chart. But it, it takes a while to take all of those and think about them and figure them out. And mm-hmm. so to have somebody talk through you and not just say, oh, here are the accommodations, but to say, well, why does he need this? And then right. and then the special ed professional can explain to you, well, he can't memorize anything. His yeah. brain just won't do it. And then you go, oh, that's the same thing as the lines and spaces. Right. And I mean, I can see in like, as you're explaining it, like, then I could say to, let's say one of the teachers, well, let me tell you, like, here's what I would love to teach. Is this reasonable? Or yes. how do I do that if my intention is to do that? Because like sometimes, um, and this is part of the scenario that we're going to talk about. I just don't know. I don't. I don't know their capacity. I think I tend to. I don't think. I know I way overgeneralize, and it just can't be possible that you know all of those kids in the, that class you know can't or can do X because it's not true in the neurotypical classroom. No. Right. And no. so okay. So it's your still- biggest thing is like. <laughs> You can still do all the activities and do all the things. And the students who don't really understand are just following the other kids and that works fine. Yeah. Right. It's just when we get to these outer ends that mm-hmm. we have to, okay, we have to do something different. Yeah. Um, another thing that I do to get to know the kids is I try to observe them somewhere other than music. 
Because if we only see a kid in music, then we only know who they are in music. Um, But like, you know, if we have lunch duty or bus duty or something like that, just watching for that kid, just watch them, just watch them get out of the car and walk into the school and just kind of think, think about them for a second. Um, Sometimes I will take my sandwich and go stand in the doorway Hmm. of a special education classroom or another classroom and just, just watch a kid for five minutes, just watch and see how they interact in that classroom. And I find I learn a whole lot. Speaking of paraprofessionals, that's another group of people that really needs extra love and care yes. in a school. Yes. Um, I think they are the the most gloriously underpaid. Yes, that is in, for sure. In a few places in the country, they have benefits, but very, very few. Often, it's just hourly work and and no benefits, and they're often you know, I'll have teachers. Oh, come come watch me teach. I had this. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, fine, okay, I'll come. Yeah. So I go to the classroom. I'm standing at the door, and here comes the kid, and here comes the professional, and the special education teacher usually comes just because there's somebody there, right? Right. Then they they come to the door, and we're all talking, and nobody's talking to the kid, right? He's talking to the paraprofessional, hmm. and I'm like, hmm, those are really important people. Yeah. There's, stakeholders in this. So I think getting to know, getting to know them, I thank them so much just for walking in the door. I so much. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I've started um, pre-teaching the paraprofessionals some of what we're going to do in class because some paraprofessionals ended their music at fifth grade. So they don't really feel comfortable with the things that we're doing, especially if you do a lot with maybe improvisation or a lot of movement. They're not used to that or music literacy. It's just not something that they're used to. So they feel as uncomfortable with that as I would if you dropped me in a calculus class. Right, right. So so I've started trying to pre-teach them. So, okay, so next time we're going to work on, you know, maybe some kindergarten comparisons, right? You know, long, short, high, low, fast, you know, all all of that. And and when we do get into literacy, go ahead and pre-teach them the things that the kids are learning so that they can, they can help them. Um, Another interesting is that in most of the rest of the school day, paraprofessionals are told exactly what to do, how to do it, in what color, for how long, and where to put the data. And then they come to music room and it's, whoa, it's like this big party, right? And kids are going all room and there's music and there's scarves. And there's (laughs) bands. Right. And if they haven't done that and they didn't do music or maybe they didn't have a good music teacher that did active music making, yes, there's judgment in that. Yes. Then, then they don't really know what to do. Yeah. And so I think it's it's our job in a way to welcome them to our, our, our classroom as grownups, as teachers with us and to pre-teach them and give them roles and things that we want them to do. So if we don't want them to hand over hand with the kid constantly through the lesson because we want to see, can they do it? We say, Hey, let's take some data on this today. Let's see, you know, if he can do it by himself and yeah. let the professional in on the, on what you're doing, right? Like, like a grown up. Yeah. And I think that really helps develop relationships with them because they feel like, Oh, okay. This is what they want me to do. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then also, Oh, the music teacher is so nice. The music teacher always says, thank you. And really appreciates me. Yes. So, even if it's as simple as, if you bring a coffee into school in the morning, get a coffee for the paraprofessional and just walk by and say, hey, I thought about you and got this for you. That's a way to make friends <laughs> and influence people. <laughs> All right. So your biggest focus is get to know, love and get to know those students and the same thing for the paraprofessionals. Yep. Okay. So for the listeners, um, I sent uh, Dr. Hamill a scenario earlier Um and 
basically it's just like a composite. I don't know what you call it, but it's like three teachers plus one a little bit, but three for sure, um, who were very willing <laughs> to share their situations teaching music in specifically self-contained autistic classrooms um, in the elementary uh, buildings. But all of them shared that while they really want to love and connect and, you know, teach these students, they just feel incredibly inadequate. So uh, I sent you a list of bullet points to kind of like, it's, it's like a pretend one classroom, right? But it's really an amalgam. It is interesting. Like the first one you said, you said the class comes to the music room once a week for 40 to 50 minutes. Okay. Right. Never else in their day are they asked to do one thing yes. for 50 minutes. It's right? too long. Yes, I agree. And there's, there's not a way we can split it apart. There's not, there's not. So what I, first thing I would recommend is that you have full on break time halfway yes. through the class. Yes. Just let them bring whatever it is, their choice, their toy, their whatever it is that they like, and you give them a break because they cannot for 40 to 50 minutes. Yeah. No, they can't attend. They can't. And so, and I think what happens is, is what teachers see is they see things start and then just snowball mm-hmm. until full on, you don't even know what to do. And the, the answer is because the music class is too long. Yeah. We're well, asking too much of them. I think having, having lots of breaks and one big break in the middle is really important. That's one teacher, interesting. Go ahead. One teacher, they asked her to do the class. And then they also had recess or something, and, and it was all, like, mixed into this long time. And so, but she figured, well, she could do recess when she needed to. So she does half the class, takes them out for recess, and then brings right. it back. For, yeah, for I mean, um, well, at least for two, two of us, and I'm one of them, so I should prefer for <laughs> transparency. Um, I don't foresee them. Okay, so I could do whatever I want in that minus 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, what I have been doing, which is fairly reasonable, relatively speaking, successful is we go kind of, um, not hard, but we do about 15 minutes of like, I am really like trying to like sing with you, move with you, engage you. Um, and then basically we, s- they sit down and we're watching some music making, And, but I don't, and then we try to do a bit more and then we sit down again and try to like, that's kind of seems like their range. Um, But I haven't thought about like, bring something with you. It's more like, okay, I'm going to show you a musical video or something where you're singing with the people. Um, But I don't know, that feels like a cop out. But then again, it settles them down. Because, yeah. no, they, they, they need that. And even the movie, if you're asking them to pay attention to the movie, yeah. then they're still having to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think a lot of students who are in self-contained classrooms fall under the principle, a lot of the principle of first, then. First, we do this singing and the things that we're going to do right now. Then you're going to get choice time with whatever yeah. the preferred thing is. And they're used to first, then. So hmm. we'll understand it in the music classroom, too. Okay, and, then, and even having some kind of visual um, timer or something to show them, you know, how that was a lot of time. Now it's just a little time left, just a little time left. And then. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I also don't I don't ask them to attend for longer than I know they can. I let them always win. Hmm. So if in the beginning, when you start this, they can only do it for five minutes, then fine. Right. 
You set the yeah. timer for five minutes and then they get choice time. And then you try another chunk of time. Yeah, um, that's, that's, a, that's good advice because I think I've been thinking more like pack as much as I can into that first thing. And that's really the only, like to me that, that 10 to 20 minutes, like 20 minutes if I'm really firing on all, you know, pistons or whatever they say. Um, and then it's like, okay, now we're going to sit down and watch this because it, it just starts to get beyond chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. So, so in this scenario, obviously you just said these classes are long. The paraprofessionals have said, you know, this is ridiculous. Like it's too long. I feel like everybody's struggling, you know, yeah. the librarian, I don't know. <laughs> that is a lot. Um, the students are grouped in all three scenarios. It's like everybody has two classes. Uh, like I call them littles and bigs. Yeah. You know, it's basically like kind of kindergartenish, first grade-ish, and then third and fourth. And then there's like some second graders who seem to, I don't know, like some are in the one room, some are in the other. Uh, almost exclusively for all of us, there are one-to-one aides uh, for right. each um, student. We talked a little bit about, I'm going through the scenario for the listeners. <laughs> uh, we talked about the way I wrote it is the aides who certainly do not get paid enough money are understandably frustrated. Uh, this leads often to, uh, and this is the thing, like I try never to judge this because right. I don't know. It's like a, seeing a parent in a store and the kid is screaming their head off. And part of me wants to feel judgmental, like, you better take care of that kid, you know. But who knows <laughs> the story about what's been happening. Maybe it is terrible. You know, maybe it's not. But anyway, I I think that for all three of us, there can be a barrier in that communication, which we kind of addressed, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then let me just read these co last couple things. You could stop me if you want okay. to or I can go through all of them. Uh, so when I'm saying I, this is like the pretend one teacher. I often don't know what expect expectations I should have. I worry that I'm not providing enough substantial music, uh, musical fun or challenge for fear of pushing them too hard. But at the end of the class, I often feel as though I didn't really offer anything of substance, but rather, well, you know, like I made it through another class, one less that I have to do. Well, and this is really hard for us because our collegiate music ed classes and all of our scopes and sequences or whatever else that you call them begin with kind of the basic kindergarten competencies, right? We've got yep. beat, you know, high and low or matching pitch. And the students that we're talking about may never get right. to that kindergarten baseline. So we have to, I call it winding it back. So we have to wind back our objectives to find the kids. And if you've got a class of students with autism and there are seven to nine of them, you may have seven to nine. Yes. <laughs> um, so for example, the, for me, the very first objective, if you're going to wind all the way back to the basic, 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 would be for a student, let's say they're probably rolled into the classroom in their wheelchair. They don't currently make eye contact. Right. They're not currently verbal. Um, there's no engagement at all, really, that you can see. And you wonder, does this student know that they've come to the music room, right? Mm, 
yeah. that, that student. So the very, very first objective that I would have for a student like that is, is there a noticeable change in the student when music is absent or present? Mm. So, we, so we wound it all back. And so you, you will have some students who that will be their objective. So you start an activity, you start a game, you start something with everything else. Your only expectation for that child is you're looking to see, do their eye movements change, right? Do their limbs move more or less? Are there vocalizations or no vocalizations? Does something happen that stops when music stops? I do a lot of my winding strategies when I'm driving my car, right? So you're thinking, okay, so what am I going to be teaching? So you think about what you're going to be teaching. So I'm teaching like in fourth grade, right? And we've got four sixteenths, right? And so we're going to put it in, we've got four sixteenths with our eights and a quarter. And so then I'm winding it back. Well, what comes before that? What comes before that? And we're really good at it until we get to beat. And then it's like, well, what comes before beat? And when I'm thinking about these students, I go back to what I learned from early childhood education psychology classes, as well as my own daughters, right. if you're fortunate to have your own little lab children at home, yes. um, when they were little. So you think about, well, what, what happens before a baby walks steady, right? Mm-hmm. It's unsteady. Right. And what comes before unsteady? Oh, asynchronous. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, right. Take a step and then fall down. Mm-hmm. Right. So you think about all of that and it's the same process. Sequence is a sequence, right? So it's the same process for beat um, because you have to be able to do that in your body. But we see when we see the students come in and we see that they're not able to move right. at a steady beat, they're not going to understand state, right? They're still yeah. kind of in you pat somewhere, right. right? So I just wind my objectives back so that everybody has one. And then I find I feel less, well, I feel more like I did something good by the right. end of class. Right. You know, rather than just floating and trying to get through the 40 to 50 minutes, you've got something that you did that for each kid and they've obtained that and that's awesome. And then you kind of think about, okay, what do I want to focus on next? And it'll probably be less objectives than for your students who are neurotypical. Sure. And maybe just look for it through the whole time that they're in there. You know, when they're not on their breaks today, we're really thinking about this. And then, mm-hmm. so that, that has helped me feel more like I got something done. Okay. Um, and then because I, there've been, well, there've been several really interesting court cases. I'm a nerd um, <laughs> about inclusion. And do we, do we do the most? And no, we can't do the most for every kid. Um, but we also can't do the least. Right. Right. <laughs> so so the, the latest Supreme court case said basically every child every day deserves to go to school and have challenging objectives for them. Mm. Something that's challenging for them may not be for anybody else, right? But right. that they're working on, and not just oh, he came to school, so that's cool, right? Right. It's not enough. It's yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I just want to share something that, like, I, when I first started, when I was working with these kids, and I'm, I can only speak to my experience, like specifically like this. You know, I was trying to do these like big group things and it's, it just wasn't, no, it wasn't happening. So let's say, so I have this song, it's let's sing hello, hello, right? That's the basic thing. So like if I had kindergartners, you know, I might go around, okay, Alice, how would you like to move? Let's wiggle, hello, hello, whatever you're going to do. So then what I did was I made a thing on my active board of like, 15 ways of moving Mm. pictures. And then I just call each child up 
and I'll just say, okay, Alice, would you show me, you know, how would you like to move? So you put your hand on one of the things or touch one of the things. And then here's like, now I realize like, I just kind of have to tailor it to each kid. So some kids are, can easily say, I would like to spin. So I would say, could you, you know, I'll just keep saying Alice, you know, Alice, could you sing? Let's spin. Right. And you sing, let's spin. Okay. And then another kid comes up and they can do more. I know this kid can do. So I gave the microphone. Let's spin. Hello. So two kids sang the whole thing. Yes. And then two kids hardly ever communicate at all in a way that I understand. And so they came up. And so what I said to the one student was, first of all, that I got him to touch the board was a big deal with, yes. with intention, not just hit the board, you know. And then I said, do you, um, do you want to swim? He said, and I said, can you say, bum? And he said, bum. And I was um, like, boom. <laughs> like, that was like the most, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like interaction that we had ever had. So that... So what I want to ask you is, I think I had to kind of give myself permission to, because I wasn't sure what to do. Like, I'm used to having 100% of the students doing what we're doing. You know, like if we're going to, you know, in second grade, if we're moving, everybody's moving. Maybe there's a kid or two, you know, who are a little bit behind or don't want to do it. Here, in the beginning, I'd be like, okay, let's all move with this parachute. And it's like, oh, no, we're not all doing that. No, it's like three of us and all the aides. So now I'm at a place where I kind of envision the class as I try to do something with them all together, which kind of works for the first couple of minutes of class. So that could be stretchy band, um, parachute. We were singing with streamers. And then it's more like now we're going to sing a tisket a tasket and each child is coming up to the ORF instrument or to the xylophone. And I have to be okay with the fact that there are kids who are either kind of just moving around, not listening. Because in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm a terrible teacher. Like, I should have, you know, 60% of them engage. So what? when I say that, what is your response? Are you like, oh, that's reasonable, or no, Missy, you should be doing, have them all engaged at the same time? It's bless your heart. <laughs> you got seven to nine kids yes. in this place have an entirely different um system hardwired into their brain. I mean, when we give children with autism MRIs, we can literally see the differences in their brain. They are not the same as our brains. They are not going to learn the same way we do. Um, And then I think, yeah, we all get ourselves all wound up in this, you know, I don't know how to, how it would be. I used to say Norman Rockwell, but nobody knows that. (laughs) This this version of this perfect music class and everyone's circle and they're all crisscross applesauce right right <laughs> and that just no and it wasn't even true then in the 50s right so, right and, and also the kids we're talking about weren't allowed in school then yeah so they, they weren't, weren't invited right. right they weren't there for the painting um so i think we have to let go of it ourselves like you have and just let it go say nope for i'm looking for this kid i'm looking at this for this kid i'm looking at this and the idea that having different expectations and different rules and different right. things for different kids is not only okay, it's, it's advised. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I because think I've gotten so to the place good. where I don't know another answer, like, because right. it's, I just, it's a non-starter. They're not going to all sit and play sticks at the same time. 
in the beginning of class, I can get some of that done for a couple of minutes and then I'm losing them. So now what I do is I kind of look for students who are engaged and I'm going around. All right. What did you want to say? The other thing I was going to say is, yes, when when we think about the length of activities, you know, we often say for no longer than the age of the child. Right. So right. if they're five trying to do things, well, when we're talking about kids with disabilities, their developmental age is far before their chronological age. Right. So if their developmental age is 18 months, how about 1.8 minutes? Right. That's Oof. as long as their attention span. But then we try to go in with our neurotypical and we're going to put on the shenanigans, or whatever, right. and do the whole song. We can't do the whole song yep. because that whole song is longer than their attention span. So finding a cadence, right? Finding a, a musical, meaningful place to just stop. And they've done that activity and they did great. And then we clap and we go on to the next one. I think yeah. we try to superimpose the same length of activities yeah. on children who are not able to attend that. Well, long. and I just want to say that I think why we do that is nobody taught us otherwise. Oh, like, nobody oh, yes. told us what to do. No, nobody taught us any of this. <laughs> that's, the, you know, that's what I'm like. I'm supposedly a master teacher and I feel like less like I feel like an undergrad. Mm-hmm. Right. Where I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I, oh. what I was going to say is here sometimes I'm OK with it now. But if you if this were like five months ago in the beginning of the year, I felt really guilty about the other kids and that either they were just sitting or. But I mm-hmm. don't know what else. to. I don't know. I can't like be in. I physically it's um, impossible. So if one kid is next to me, you know, playing the xylophone and we're singing together now, where before I would be so focused on the other six or seven kids who are just kind of, they're fine, actually. <laughs> like when I was like, I'm like, they're fine. They're not upset. You know, but I'm like, I'm a bad teacher. I'm giving a private lesson. Um, but now I'm just trying to move through. And my mm-hmm. thing by the end is, have I had a meaningful connection through music with each student Um and my goal is like twice during the 40 minutes. Have you used um, a lot of visuals for things like that? Um, how do you mean? Like um, like having a card, a laminated card with a picture of a triangle? I have not. That can be really mm-hmm. useful. A lot of students with autism are very visual. Mm-hmm. And having more visuals in our classroom can help. Even when you said before about you could go and you can pat what... Right want or that for students that have even difficulty with that or that's a big deal to come up and pat to have them have like maybe two cards like a choice card so you put two cards in front of them say which Ah, i see and let them let them pick which one Uh, because sometimes the number of choices is just overwhelming sure it is for me (laughs) yeah i know right another thing i do is i will um create books um so laminated with the little hole puncher With with the ring thing that have the activities we're going to do in class that day. Hmm. Um, and for these students, I might even do it by segment. So if we're going to do a first then, and we've got our segment, and then we're going to have choice time, and then we're going to have just this segment, because it helps students know the basic behavioral principle under which we all fall, which is how long do I have to be good before I get what I want? Yeah. So we, we all want to know how long we have to be good. And so if you can't read a clock, you don't understand. It can seem like forever. Oh, 40, yeah. 50. It can seem like forever. And then I'm like, well, and then it becomes like, well, why should I do these things? Right. 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 This is a lot of work. And who yeah. knows how many hours I'm going to have to do this. But if they've got a little book that says we're doing these three or four things and then break time. Right. Then you can say, oh, almost there. Look at. Right. Right. And it kind of helps them tell time. So um, are you saying this is me, Missy, trying to figure out. 
for every kid? No. No. Not Only for kids, kids who need it. Okay. I see what you're saying. For kids, so more- for the kid with his hands on the ears. Yes. So I give. And the thing is, that's interesting. His his the one-to-one aid is like he's fine he's actually like that's just what he does he's not protesting or you know but I for a while I was just to be honest I don't know if ignoring is the right word I just was like I don't want to upset him um but then that's when I started trying like well let me see um would like I would go to him and say would you like a streamer and sometimes he'll just throw it on the ground okay no problem. Then go, would you like rhythm sticks? Takes the rhythm sticks. So like, that's kind of how I've been doing it. Yeah, that's great. Yes. Uh, and you could even have two choice cards, right? You want a scarf? Yeah. You want rhythm sticks? Just take a picture of scarf, take a yeah, picture. I like that. And put them in front of the kid and say, which do you want? And, and let them make that choice. It gives them kind of some, some element of control in school. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause school is bad enough for people who are neurotypical. Yeah. But if you That's have disabilities, sure. you just feel done to you over Yeah, it. yeah. No, I'm, no I can't kids. even imagine. So kids who you feel like, maybe I could just ask, the, look at that. I could just ask the teacher. Who would benefit yeah. from something like this? Right, from choice cards. And uh, depending on the level of supports at your school, sometimes um, therapists or paraprofessionals or special ed teachers will actually make some of that for you. It just kind of depends on the structure hmm. and how um yeah so we're okay so where are we down to communicating yes that's perfect okay um so right the little communication devices that students have um it it does sometimes it does take some some learning to figure out how to use them and that would be another thing that you could do in that meeting every nine weeks or whatever say you know how do do i use this or could could you make me some board maker schedules so that the student has the same thing on their chromebook or their ipad as they do what you're showing in the classroom Mm -hmm. um a lot of students with autism have difficulty that's called theory of mind and theory of mind is being able to read someone's facial expressions right. or tone of voice or something like that. And it's often just absent in people with autism or, or they struggle with it. So having those two-dimensional emoji-like figures of board makers is very helpful because it's much better than the whole Cirque du Soleil going on. Right. On <laughs> on us. Like, but wait, I have to ask a question. I'm raising my hand. Um, yes. I don't know what board maker is. Oh, okay. So maybe your school system doesn't use it. Boardmaker is... No, they probably do. They just probably didn't tell us. <laughs> oh, okay. Boardmaker is the most is the most popular. So everybody just do do a do a Google, Google search. search. Uh, so boardmaker picture schedule. And it's a computer program that's got hundreds and hundreds of two dimensional figures and faces for basically everything a kid can do in his life and his day. They even have some music things. Okay. Uh, I use those a lot because it goes with what they have in their class. And if it's not the company board maker, they have something else that's a different company. Right, yeah. right. But they'll know what you mean if you say you're looking for board maker. Um, so using that, and then when they don't have it, that's when I use pictures. When I'm working on shaping a particular behavior with a student, I will try to do pictures of them doing the thing. Right, yeah, so that's cool. there's a picture of you taking that scarf, right? right? So when it's time to take a scarf, you show them the picture of them taking a scarf. That's brilliant. Um, so to help, helping them look at their own, their own faces, which sometimes helps them make more sense out of what it is. Cause often it's not, it's not a behavior. It's not disruption. It's not meltdown. It's a misunderstanding. Right. And often it goes back to a sensory 
issue. So seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, and then proprioceptive and vestibular. There are really seven senses. Right. Right, right. So something in there is getting mixed up in, in music. And the only way often the kids can tell us that it's bad is to just, to just have a meltdown, have a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. The little kid class, I've, we actually, the, the paraprofessionals and I were talking, they're like, we don't know what's going on, but it is just ramping up. Things are ramping up. So they come to us right after lunch and recess. They are running there's just like running and running and running and to be honest this happened um none of us i didn't know what to do i i just was like trying to sing no no they weren't even looking at me from minute one when that has happened from to me i often start with lights out quiet music and we just lay down and we breathe <laughs> well, that's a good idea why don't I do that that's you just so- try to do those and then maybe choice time right hmm. just to get them all regulated and then let's sing hello hello then right, you, right, you, right right you listen. because if they're not ready and their bodies take longer to regulate um than the bodies of children who are neurotypical so sometimes mm-hmm. it just takes a while and you know, if you've been running around and talking to your friends and doing all this stuff, yeah, yeah, you don't want to go right back into right? right. So just well, I mean, even the neurotypical kids coming in after recess, it takes some work, yep. you know, to yeah. just kind of adjust. Um, but what I can do with those kids, I'm just realizing as you're saying it, my feeling with the neurotypical kids is I engage you in music right away. You know, as soon as you're coming in, it's almost like before you can say no it's just like we are moving we are but with these kids we've been noticing the paraprofessionals and i i'm like what is happening i it is like going off the chain it's just like one is trying to get out of the room but i never even thought to like slow everything down my my this is whole my my extraness is like do 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 yeah teach like your hair's on fire right it's like oh throw the scarves at you oh throw the things at you like here props props transitions are really hard for students with autism. Mm. So if they've gone from their classroom to lunch and to recess and to all these other things, now to music, yeah. they just need some time for their bodies to go, Oh, we're in music. Okay. Well, you know, is, I'm going to do that tomorrow. Yeah. I and have then, them tomorrow. Email yeah. Me and yeah. <laughs> I didn't even, cause we were, we were really in a quandary. I was, because I thought, well, this, when they came in last week, I was playing some, I think I was playing some Rachmaninoff and we were doing the um, parachute, but even that was too, it just was too much. But I think in my brain, it's like, but this is so calming, you know, I wouldn't even think like, okay, just turn the lights down very low and don't move, (laughs) just rest. But like, I should know neurologically, you know, that's what actually needs to happen. It's just that it takes different things for different, uh, but basically listeners out there, I'm like discovering this as we're talking. That's what you're hearing. (laughs) I think the choice cards are important, right? right? So this or this, right? And then to actually have the instrument and be showing what it does too is important. Okay. Uh, Because sometimes they're looking at it, but they don't remember what rhythm sticks look like in motion, right? So you you know this, or do you want to do this and let them, let them choose. Um, Because I think, yeah, you know, the whole thing about wait five seconds, wait 10 seconds, right? Well, with some kids that that we're talking about, we really need to wait 30 seconds. I mean, it's a, it's a long time so using visuals is going to help you speed that up so that you can kind of still keep all the plates spinning in your lesson at the right. same time 
Um, so yeah, I think visuals that, that, that I think that was a big thing. And you, I think maybe I just need like permission from someone. So we'll see if you can offer this. Cause I'm, I think I'm just restating the same thing I've said a couple of times. If I'm leading a class and in the beginning we can kind of move together and then it comes down to, um, you know, I'm having them sing something, but I'm trying to hear each student do a little bit of singing and responding. And the other kids are either running around or sitting. That's okay. It is absolutely okay. It is also okay to do floating choice time. What does that even mean? It sounds fun. (laughs) They're playing with their object, right? They've earned their little break time. And then one by one, you can go to each kid while they're, you know, and say, hey, bum, bum, bum. You get something back while the kids are engaged in something else. Another thing I've done, because, you know, as you've experienced, teaching the entire group can be difficult because they're at such such disparate spaces. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sometimes I will set up little centers. And as part of pre-teaching paraprofessionals, you could have a paraprofessional at a center doing scarves and you move with scarves and have another one, you know, around the room. And we'll also give you time to do the thing that you want to do with a student. If you want to assess them on something so you can, Mm -hmm. when they get to you. And, and of course that just, that depends on a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think some of my paraprofessionals would probably hate that and some of them would love it. So maybe I just, maybe I could start with a couple who wouldn't mind doing that. And then just like kids, they're the examples. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I, um, well, the last thing I want to ask, this is a practical thing. So you're talking about trying to uh, blend in this choice time. So like we do a musical thing and then we have a choice time. And um, is that something I can and should speak to the classroom, their teacher about? Because I wouldn't know what. Yes. Okay. That would be fine. And the paraprofessionals, because they know what, you know, because right. students get breaks in their regular classroom, too. Okay. Um, and then it's, what's interesting, though, is once they get, like, past the three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, right, then sometimes you can extend it to six. Right. Because they know they're getting that break, yeah. you know, and then maybe even to seven. I mean, we'll oh, see. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Kind of play no, I like that idea. Five. I'm trying to think of, like, what's a reasonable way to start doing that. I think my... um overwhelmed teacher brain starts to be like okay so I gotta get to know the students I gotta get to know the paraprofessionals I gotta get the choice time thing I gotta so I'm I am good at this like knowing you know it's just like I was talking about anti-racism with somebody and I was like you know it's overwhelming so just pick two of these 10 things yes Yes. um so I'm trying to think what would be (sighs) I'm just more thinking out loud. What would be, and I guess that's something I have to answer uh, for myself. If if you're just starting, I'd say getting to know your students is the most important thing. Because that helps you know how they tick. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's, that's the first thing. If you've already done that, then sure. Then you can move on to making choice cards and doing, you know, and doing other things. But yeah, but definitely don't try to do everything. I mean, girl, we tired. Yeah. <laughs> we're so tired. Oh, we really are. We and really are. Yeah. So just just yeah. slowly, just pick just pick a couple just pick one thing and try it. Yeah. And you want to hear something I, this sounds like an overgeneralization, but it's I think it's actually true and whatever it means is what it means. 
these kids for me in my two particular classes, I lo really love these kids. Like they're, they just make me smile. Um, it's been a real blessing. I'll tell you in the beginning when they told us, I was kind of like, oh boy, like I feel so inadequate. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you're saying, but it's something I say when I'm training teachers is like, step back, right? And think about what it is you're trying to do. Yeah. So instead of getting caught up in the minutia of like, I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do this, I have to do a lesson plan, I have to, you know, my observation is coming. Just remind yourself every once in a while, step back. What do I teach? Are they doing that? You've done a good thing. <laughs> like, I think with this class, I've been so much like, oh my gosh, that was like so much chaos. I don't know if anything good happened, you know, but I am starting to see some months out, like, that was good. Like that thing that happened was good. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's out of my hands. Sometimes I could have done something different. But I'm like, I got that kid to sing a word. Well, and to me, this is my 36th year of teaching. To oh. me, the most wonderful thing about it is that you get to go back the next day yep. and do it again. It's like a constant lap. And while I've never once had a day when I didn't make any mistakes, I've right. been be on this podcast, right? <laughs> I've never once had that. But what I say to myself is, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to make different mistakes. Yeah. Because it's when you make the different mistakes that you're finding your teaching and what's going on. If you're making the same mistake over and over again, girl, that's not a mistake. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, is it a fluke or is it a trend? Like what's exactly. happening here? <laughs> are perfectly fine and I have different flukes every day after mm -hmm. 36 Yep, yep. It's perfectly fine to go try. You fall on your face, fine. Yep. You go and you try again. Just, yep. yeah. The, no, the I like that. You up and you did it again. You know, we're rolling towards the end of the year, even though it doesn't feel like that. We all know, or at least the older ones of us know, it comes very fast. And in my mind, as you were talking, I'm like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And then I just thought, wait, you know, next year, next year, I can decide in June, okay, what's one thing to add for yeah. this coming year? Um, I don't need to make all the choice picture cards today for <laughs> for next week's class. I think yeah. I tend to have that kind of thinking. It's like, okay, and, Alice and Hamill said this, so I better go make all the cards. And honestly, making those choice cards is most fun when you're watching football. It's mm -hmm. not evil football season right now, right? I mean, that's <laughs> something you're just watching a movie. Right. You just, you know, at your leisure. Like right? mindless. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I like that idea. Like I'm, for me, I'm going to practice what I preach in other areas. And that is I'm going to work right now on just getting to know the kids and continuing to befriend and encourage the paraprofessionals. Um, because not only is that the most simple place to start, it's the most important place to start. <laughs> and then over time, maybe those, the more kind of practical things will make more sense, you know, like to do. Yeah. Well, and staying in this field for a long time is all about relationships. Yeah. It's about building a team and being part of the team and being there for your team members. And yeah, yeah. that's, I, that's I definitely, I definitely feel that um, with these two classes, like, I think it's, we're just kind of like brothers in arms. Like, I don't know why I think that when, like even the paraprofessionals and we're like, they're like, we love you, Dr. Strong. I'm like, I love you guys too. <laughs> let's, let's just, 
Let's yes. get through it and try to do something positive. Like, let's so maybe. perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you just get up and you do the best you can. Yep. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I know you are a busy human being. We have established that. So I appreciate your willingness to come to help me to help other teachers. Thank you for all the work that you are. Um, well, I was going to say tirelessly doing, but maybe you're tired. I don't know, but <laughs> that you continue to do. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm thanking you for the teachers and teachers. If you work with Dr. Hamill, bring her a card to Starbucks or something. <laughs> She's not asking. I'm asking. <laughs> thank, thank you, Missy. That means no. a lot. Maybe tear up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably just the exhaustions. <laughs> no, thank yeah. you. I, I really... I really, I value, you know, your presence, you know, in the profession, uh, not just for this, but just on the whole, thank you for your positive outlook and for the important work you're doing. So even today, impacting potentially thousands of students and certainly hundreds and hundreds of teachers. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. I love your work, too. It's always oh. fun to follow you on social media. And I know. Ridiculous. See all the fun things that you <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. It was great. As I said in the episode, I am earnestly grateful for Dr. Hamill's willingness to sit down and help me and other teachers better serve the autistic students who come to the music classroom biggest takeaway for me, think of these kids as though they are as precious as my own children. What a difference that has made since I spoke with Dr. Hamill. I was especially excited to learn about Boardmaker and just the idea of employing visuals in my work with these students. But more than anything, I am thankful for the reminder to love and connect with these students and those who work closely with them before and above all else, and the words about providing the right amount of challenge for every student every day. I am also really grateful to share that since recording the interview with Dr. Hamill and thinking so closely about what she shared, things have been getting increasingly better with my own self-contained classes. It's hard to believe in light of the panic I felt at the beginning of the year, but even though they rarely go the way I plan, these classes are now some of my favorite, most rewarding in the schedule, and that's the truth. Thank you again, Dr. Hamill, for sharing your vast expertise and insight with me and the listeners, and I hope you'll come back again to chat. Another reminder of two ways to support me and the work of the Music Ed Amplified podcast. First is the Music Ed with Missy Teacher Pay Teacher Store, where you can find resources like the Move Along with Dr. Strong Creative Movement Cards and my Pillars of the Music Class posters. The second way is by visiting the Music Ed with Missy Buy Me a Coffee site at buymeacoffee.com slash missystrong. You can make a small one-time donation or you can become a member at the Earl Grey or afternoon tea levels. When you do that, you will get other benefits and fun stuff too, like graphics I've created for my classroom, the huge move along with Dr. Strong cards I referenced before, and things like an upcoming Darth Strong surprise that I'm going to share uh, with the afternoon tea level members. For questions about the podcast, please reach out at docstrong26 at gmail.com 
or message us at Music Ed with Missy on Facebook or Instagram or on Twitter at DocStrong26. The podcast music you hear was composed and performed by Jeremy and Owen Strong. Jeremy also serves as the audio engineer and editor for the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, and I really hope you did, please help us by subscribing and rating it wherever you listen and sharing it with other people. You know I am thankful that you've spent some time with me. Teachers, we're some of the busiest people around, and so much is demanded of us, so I appreciate it more than you know. I hope this time was worthwhile and that you are motivated to reflect on your philosophy and practice. I'll see you next time, but until then, keep doing all you can to create a more musical, joyful, thoughtful, just world for your students, their families, and the community. Thank you.